morning, church. It is uh, always, consistently, this is what's amazing about serving the Lord, it is consistently wonderful to be at worship. It is consistently um, uh, a blessing to be amongst God's people, to be in the presence of God's people, uh, even in the distance that we are in right now. It is consistently something to look forward to throughout our week. What an amazing gift that God has given to his children. Let's go, please, to God in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy divine name. We thank you for you are the magnificent and the holy one. We give you all the praise, honor, and the glory. And this morning, as we worship you, we do pray that you will bless our worship, that you will accept our worship, that all things, Lord God, that will and have been said and done, will and have been pleasing and acceptable in your sight. We pray, Lord God, for your strength to be upon us, that we remember Jesus in all things, in our service to you from this day forward. Uh, we pray, Lord God, for the week that we will have a strong and blessed week, uh, bringing, again, glory and honor to your name, realizing, Lord God, that in this life that we live, it is our purpose to bring glory and honor under your name. Thank you for Jesus, your great son. It's in his name we do pray, and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. We're going to Acts chapter 16. We're talking about Jezebel's junction this morning uh, from Revelation uh, chapter 2. Jezebel's junction. In Thyatira, this is the, the city that we're speaking of, it was located on a major road um, between Pergamum and Laodicea. And it was the center of trade routes. Thyatira had more trade guilds uh, than any other city. And the guilds were if you will, like a membership, uh, a type of membership. In fact, they were very well uh, organized and they were corporate bodies of, of people. The trade guilds had patron gods, which is interesting because they worshipped those gods and they believed that these gods blessed their work. So you were in a certain trade, then you worshipped uh, these particular God and so, or gods, and so these these guilds caused difficulty for Christians to work in the trade will require you to worship the gods, right? Now, if you're a child of God and and you are working in a trade, and in your trade, in order to be a part of the guild, you had to worship the god, which in, included idolatry and drunken parties and all the wickedness that comes with it. As a child of God, you would say. Well, I can't worship your gods. And therefore, you would not be allowed to become a member of the guild, which means your trade, your business, would ultimately fail. The temple of Diana was there, Artemis. The temple of Apollo was there. This place, Thyatira, is Jezebel's junction. It was in the center of, uh, if you will, you think of what, what kind of trade they had. They, they specialized in indigo and wool. And if you remember, Lydia was there. They also specialized in this purple dye. I want to go back to Acts 16 for just a moment and look at verse 14. There the Bible says, And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... 
come into my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. And so she was a seller of purple fabrics, being from Thyatira. Back to Revelation, please, chapter 2, for our lesson uh, this morning. Jesus describes himself to the church, and he says to the church in verse 18, To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this. So here God is speaking and saying, I have the penetrating sight. I can see, and I do see all. Now this is really critical. It's critical on, on both sides. On one side we might say, well, you know, God sees everything I'm doing, and so I feel like I'm being watched, and people feel very offended. On the other side, what a great blessing to know that God is watching over me in my Christian walk and keeping Satan far from me. But we hear something that's really important. In verse 14 of chapter 1, I want you to recognize this. Verse 14, And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it was has been caused to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. I want you to think about Jesus being able to see. And I want you to think about Peter. Remember when Peter denied Jesus? Remember the Bible says that Jesus looked at him? I can't imagine what that piercing look felt like. But Jesus, with these penetrating eyes, possesses a judgment that is always accurate. It's always correct. It's always true. He knows every side of the story. He knows every event. He knows every activity. And he knows it with clarity. And so the judgment of God will always be pure and always be right, accurate, if you will. In Revelation 2 and verse 19, here's what he says. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. And that your deeds of late are greater than at first. How accurate, right? What a gift, right? You look at the church at Thyatira and he says, I know you. I know what you're going through. I know where you live. I know what your struggles are. I know the love that you have for me and for each other. I know the faith that you possess in your heart. I know about your service that you're rendering to each other and to the community. I know about your perseverance that you're enduring until the end. And I know this. Your deeds of late are greater than the deeds you did at first. Now you want those penetrating eyes to see you so that in the end, the Lord will say by His grace and by His mercy, well done, ye good and faithful servant. And so the church at Thyatira, though it's in Jezebel's junction, they're the majority, if you will, or there is a fraction of the congregation who were doing a wonderful job and the Lord recognizes the works that they participated in, even amidst the adversity that they stood against and that they faced every day. So now verse 20, we start getting into the problem. But I do, I have this against you. Did you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, turn to First Kings chapter, uh, chapter 16. Anytime God 
says, Jezebel, <laughs> you know that trouble is coming. <laughs> because trouble already exists. In fact, Jezebel is a name that uh, most uh, humans today know. Do not name your child Jezebel. <laughs> Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel is still alive even in the world today. And the spirit of Jezebel was very alive in, in the city of Thyatira. And so we get the title Jezebel's Junction. She was a ninth, ninth century princess. And she was absolutely horrible. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. She was horrible. Um, First Kings chapter 16, we're going to look at uh, Ahab. And, and we begin looking at verse 29. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Ahab provoked God. <laughs> that is just not wise, right? You start reading the Bible and someone says, you know, well, he's provoking me. And that's one thing. But when you read a scripture and it says, this man and this woman provoked God more than anyone else, you know, we have trouble. So Jezebel, if you will, in chapter 21 of 1 Kings, she's a worshiper of, of the god Baal as a part of her her family roots in verse 25. Uh, there the Bible says, Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's the reason why. Because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And he acted very abominably in following idols, according to all the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the sons of Israel. Someone said, Be careful who you marry. <laughs> Jezebel incited Ahab to do more and more evil. Now, 2 Kings chapter 9. 2 Kings chapter 9 tells us more about Jezebel. Jezebel was, you, if you'll go back and you read uh, about Jezebel, you will be probably astonished if you don't already know uh, all the facts about her. Verse 7 of 2 Kings chapter 9. And you shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. This is Jehu, by the way, whom God is speaking to. Verse 8. And the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free, in Israel. And, and why did God do that? Because they were so evil. Now jump to verse 21. 2 Kings 9 and verse 21. Then Joram said, get ready. And they made his chariot ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, 
and they went out to meet Jehu and found him in the prop- property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And it came about when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace? Jehu, and he answered, What peace? So long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. Now, when you start talking about people's mother, <laughs> I mean, <right? laughs> but Jehu says, it's time for war. When you continue to read this, uh, you know, Jezebel is a, you know, older lady at this point in time, I don't know her age, but she's putting her face paint on, the Bible says. She's putting on makeup and trying to pretty herself up, at, but she's a witch, so she, anyway, I won't go there. Anyway, look, Jehu looks up and says, throw her out of the window. And that's exactly what they do. They pick her up and throw her out of a high window, and she dies. That's how bad Jezebel was. And that was looked upon a way of bringing peace to a people. Go back to Revelation, please, chapter 2. So here's the problem. The church of Thyatira had done so many wonderful works. They were, their love was wonderful. Their faith and their service uh, was great. And their perseverance, they continued to fight the good fight of faith. But part of their fight within the body was that some folks in the church were holding on to Jezebel's teachings, if you will. And there was someone or some ladies in the church who were teaching and proclaiming that this is the way you ought to live your life. And so this is dealing with fornication and adultery and everything else you can imagine, all the sexual vices that you can imagine today. Brethren, we have Jezebel on the Internet. I mean, Jezebel is alive. That spirit of Jezebel and fornication and all that comes with it is alive today. And the church, the church at Thyatira tolerated it. Verse 20, look again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idol. How does she do that? Brethren, Satan is, you know, regardless whether it's a female or a male, Satan is so good at what he does. He is so good at deceiving people to follow evil and wickedness and things that we know, things that we know are wrong morally. We know they're wrong because it's in us to know right from wrong. And we know they're wrong, but Satan finds a way to deceive the people of God. And they fall for it. Someone said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And they fall for it. The next thing you know, they're worshiping these idol gods in a way that is vile and corrupt and evil. And here's what Jesus says in verse 21. And I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent. Of her immorality. I think to me it's one that's one of the verses in, in the scriptures as so many where it, it's troubling because you, you read it and you realize how, how true that is, the patience of God. You go back to Noah and you realize the patience of God. You look at you look at Israel, the house of Israel, and you notice the patience of God. And Judah and the patience of God. And Jesus came to the earth and lived for about thirty three years and the patience he demonstrated. And the patience and the restraint of God as they executed our Savior. And the patience of God as the Romans were persecuting the Christians. 
and the patience of God today. And I wonder today, if I could just set this out here and come back and pick it up. I wonder today how much time God has given me to repent and how many times I refused. This text tells us that I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to. Church, repentance, I know you've heard that a lot. You say, well, we've heard that a lot. I know, you see, because God's talking to the seven churches of Asia. He's talking about the persecution of the Romans, and he's saying to the Christians, in order to get to heaven, you have to repent. You have to turn your life around. You have to serve God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And God is not asking for some. God is asking for all. And if if we're not giving God our all, it's time to repent. And turn our lives around and give God our all. Through this pandemic, if we've noticed something, we've noticed this. We're nothing. We can't beat a virus. It is it has destroyed the whole world. But God can. And yet Satan has been good enough to destroy some of our faith. And to cause us to stray, to stray away from the Lord. And God calls us to repent. And he said, I gave Jezebel time to repent, but she will not. Come back to that. I'm going to come back to that. Verse 22. So here's what he says. Here's the penalty. Penalty of sin. But, behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into tribulation, into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And there, 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 is no, there is no relationship between Thyatira and our pandemic. But I can tell you this. Don't wait until you get sick before you repent. Don't wait until we get old before we repent. Don't wait until there's no other way to go And then repent. Repent now while the heart is genuine. He says, regarding this particular illness and this particular uh, uh, sickness, if you will, he says, this came from me because she refused to repent. The church had followed her in this wickedness. And what an amazing, what an amazing catastrophic event, spiritually speaking, in the hearts of humanity, that you would follow not just not just a, a princess or someone that is is teaching a false teaching, but you would follow Jezebel of all people that you would follow her. In verse twenty three, and I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds. And hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. And he says, remember, I have that penetrating sight. I know your deeds. God knows what we're doing right now. Right now. He knows everything about our hearts. Everything about our hearts. And he says, I'm giving you time, church. I'm giving the world time to repent. And I know everything about you. Praise God for that. But some people refuse to repent. And this pestilence that comes along 
the way that affects not just the people that are following this wickedness, but then the children that would come out of these particular fornications of relationships and things of that sort. These will also suffer as well as adults will suffer. In other words, God is saying, I am going to bring something upon you that you will never forget. And notice what God is doing. So that all the churches will know. And it's not talking about churches and denominations. It's talking about the only church that existed, right? The church of Christ. All the churches of Christ, all the congregations will know. All of them will know. And he says it like this. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now here's what we, here's what we don't want. What we do not want is we do not want God to, to pay us back according to our deeds. That's called justice. What we want is mercy, right? So he's saying to the church, I'm trying to show you, I'm trying to give you mercy, but you won't repent, right? Hebrews chapter 10, you refuse this congregation, members of this congregation, it's not the whole congregation, but members of this congregation refuse to repent, even though God is showing them mercy by giving them yet another day to repent. In verse 30 of Hebrews chapter 10, there the Bible says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So then this this account in Thyatira, it it goes a step further. In Jezebel's junction, he says, you know, there, there are some folks out there who have fallen for this trap. <laughs> and, and the trap is, uh, in, in Revelation 2, in verse 24, that some folks were seeking out what, what's called the deep things of Satan, right? In verse 24, it says, uh, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have no, have, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you the deep things the so-called deep things of satan turn to john chapter 8 someone says well you know what are the deep things that that is not a question that we ought to ask ourselves you ought not want to know what the deep things of satan are but let me just tell you let me just tell you what i know part of it about what the deep things of satan are lies 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 Deceit and more lies and lies and treachery and lies. That's all that Satan brings. In fact, God tried to explain that to the Pharisees and the scribes when he was speaking to them in John 8 and verse 44. And he said to them that you are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Back to Revelation chapter 2. Now, here's what you need to understand. Here's what Jesus is trying to bring to this congregation. See, there's only two ways to live your life. For Jesus or for Satan. And people who are caught up, if you will, in this, in this congregation, in, in Jezebel's, uh, you know, teaching, 
and caught up in idolatry and caught up in wickedness and evil, they're living for Satan. And everything that they believe, every concept, every principle, every ideology, every thought is filled with lies. Lies, 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 and more lies. And that's what Satan is doing to this day. Lies, lies. And lying is acceptable, isn't it? Remember growing up, someone said, well, it's okay to tell a little white lie. I mean, we even justify Satan's activity. No, lying is wrong in every instance. Lying and lying and more lying and more lying. Why would we give in to Satan? God said, I gave you time to repent. I talked to her. I gave them time to repent. But she refuses to repent. Verse 24. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. You know, uh, Thyatira and Sardis, uh, which we'll get there a little next week, answers this question. This is a question I've had current members of the church ask me uh, on occasion. They've said, you know, what do you do when you're in a, when you're in a place and you don't agree with the leadership? You know, you know, folks are always going to have something to say about the leadership. That's just a matter of being a leader, right? I mean, it's just the way it goes, both good and bad. What, what do you do when you don't agree with the leadership and you say, well, I'm just not going to go to worship anymore? Well, the Church of Thyatira and Church of Sardis would teach you that you're wrong. Jesus would teach you that you're wrong because the Bible tells us that both in Sardis and in Thyatira, there were many members in the congregation who had not given in to the teaching of Jezebel. We're not always going to agree, brethren, but it's like a good marriage. You just stick with it, right? And you try and do the best that you can do. And recognize that we're not always going to agree with the leadership, but it doesn't mean we're right, <laughs> right? And they're wrong. And it doesn't mean they're right or we're wrong. It really doesn't matter. The point of the matter is, is that we still have an obligation to come to worship and be a congregation, a family, and serve our God. So here, this congregation, here at Thyatira, he says, you know, the rest of you, the rest of you who are not holding to this teaching, God bless that congregation. God bless those members who remained strong, who stood and hung in there regardless, regardless of what they saw their brothers doing. And they were trying to teach their brothers the error of their ways, and they were persevering. They continue to say, we have to serve the Lord God and God alone. And those who were trade in the trade field if you will who were suffering because of the guilds who said no i'm not going to give in and they suffered but you can imagine the church the congregation holding them up and saying you keep serving jesus and together we'll get through this how can we help don't sacrifice your soul or one might say don't sell your soul for money don't sell your soul just to be right Don't sell your soul just to be argumentative. Do the right thing because Jesus wants us to. Look, if you will, back at verse 19. Back at verse 19, the text says, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. So imagine living in Jezebel's Junction. And yet, regardless of all the stuff that's going on around you, you have these people who actually truly love God. 
And when you truly love God, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. You still hold fast what God wants you to do, right? And they're holding fast what God wants them to do, what God expects of them. In other words, at some point in our Christian lives, in our faith, it has to go beyond, it has to go beyond me. And it needs to rest in the Lord, right? What does God want me to do? And so as I live my life for Christ, life becomes so much easier when you focus on you and your particular relationship with God and stop focusing on everyone else. So this is what they're doing. The church is holding fast God's faithful word. And here's what God promises as we begin to wrap this lesson up. He promises them something. If you will overcome, in other words, if you will stay faithful, if you will stay true, continue in your love, continue in your faith and in your confidence, if you will do these things, God says, I have a gift for you. But he says, I'm not going to place an additional burden on these folks. Verse 25, nevertheless, what you have, hold fast till I come. And then keep reading. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and He who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus said, I'm going to give you, here's this rod of iron, I'm going to, But he said, I'm going to give you something greater than that. I'm going to give you the morning star. Now, now church, turn to Revelation 22 because that's enough. That's all you need. If you had the morning star, you don't need anything else. Revelation 22 and verse 16, uh, the Bible says there, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus says, I'm going to give you of myself. You serve me and I will give you of myself. What a gift. What more do you need? Right? What more are you looking for, church? If you look around the world, people say, well, you know, God has been, God's been so good to me. And He has. Everyone will admit that. God has been so, God has been so good. God's been good to the righteous and the wicked. God is so good, isn't He? We serve a wonderful, we serve a great and amazing and a mighty God. And God is saying, remember this, church, I am good. That is true. But there's a reason. There's a purpose. When you talk to your neighbors, your neighbors say, you know, God has been really good with me. And your neighbors in Jezebel's Junction, you look at them and you go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. But know this, that God has been good to them because there's a reason. And I want to grab that reason, and then we're going to close this lesson out. Romans, please, if you will, chapter uh, 2. So we're not to fret, we're to be thankful to God for being good even to the wicked. And, and though they're living the way they're living, and though they refuse to listen to the message of God, the message of the, cry, the cross, though they refuse to listen when we try to entertain them in a Bible study, don't fret. Instead, be thankful of the goodness of God. Because verse 4 says this, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness, And the forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. That's the purpose of God, for being kind to the world, to lead them to himself. Verse 5 says, but because of your stubbornness, back to Jezebel's junction, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I gave them time to repent. I was good to them. I blessed them. I've cared for them. I knew what they needed because I had the penetrating sight. I knew their needs. I knew their desires. I knew their wants. And I knew that I, if you will, being God, I could give them something to open their eyes, open their hearts to come back to me. I'm being kind to lead them to me. But they refused to repent. Church, let it not be said that any member of the body of Christ refuses to repent. Let it not be said that this morning, do not let this morning go by. If you need to repent, do not let this morning go by without stopping and repenting and turning your life around to God. Having godly sorrow, do not let this morning go by. If you are not a member of the body of Christ, do not let this morning go by without surrendering your life to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Do not let this day go by, for God is patient, but we do not know when the end will come. So God has said in Acts 17, in verse 30, and we close there, the Bible says, God in former days, what did he do? He overlooked something, right? Therefore God in former days, he overlooked, he overlooked the times of ignorance. He overlooked it. That's what he did. But what's he doing now? But now God is declaring that all men, not some, not a select few, but that all men everywhere should Repent. Because see, there's a day that's coming. The next verse tells us there's a day coming that God has selected that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when Jesus Christ returns, he's coming to take his people home. Not everybody. We encourage you this morning. Repent. God bless you. Each one of you.